caller on the line. Oh, we do FYI, have a caller on the line. Just FYI. Yeah, well, I'll just I'll, I'll just read some of these comments and and uh, and then we'll get to that caller um, and then we'll uh, well actually. Oh, hold on, I had you muted too. Oh, sorry, okay. y'all. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Sorry, yeah. y'all. Uh... Yeah, well, so uh, we're off the radio now. We're off the radio. Um, we're online only. This is the second half of the program. And uh, we've got some good stuff. We have uh, Chuck Cora, actually, from the Apod Latcha podcast coming on to talk about J.D. Vance. That's going to be fun, I think. Uh, I've got some other stories that we're going to get to. going to talk about Wendell Major. He's a Democrat cop running for attorney general, which Democrats want me to get excited about, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Um, excited. So, yeah. So we're going to be talking about some of that on the other side of this break. Um, so, yeah, we'll take this break really quick and we'll be right back with overtime. All right, folks. And we'll grab that caller on the other side. Yep. Be back here shortly. All right, folks, we are back and we are in overtime. Second half of the program that is online only, but it's still free <laughs> don't have to pay for it uh, although if you would like to support the show and help us continue uh doing stuff like that then uh please do you can go to tvlr.fm slash donate um if you would just like to make a donation or you can go to tvlr.fm slash store if you would like to get something in return for your money we've got stickers and hats um and at some point we're gonna have another short order uh but uh um, but yeah, uh, so we got a lot, lot of, uh, good conversation in the chat, uh, and we appreciate that. We appreciate Strom in infinite content coming in. Um, Adam, uh, absolutely happy to spend some time on those AEA elections. It's incredibly important, uh, really underemphasized. And, and, you know, I mean, I think, I think you and I both know that the AEA are, or that the leadership, the AEA are some of the people that want it underemphasized. Um, so interesting method. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm going to keep my members, uh, as, uh, as inactive as possible. That's going to give us lots of kind of like Alabama voters in this. Right. 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 Yeah. Uh, Jeb in the chat said, or, or, oh, so Bama says increased taxes drive increased bureaucracy. The correlation in benefits never track along with increase in taxes. They're actually reduced. Um, I don't think that's true. And Jeb counters that with the wage gap we're experiencing today literally started when Reagan cut corporate taxes and started breaking unions. And that is absolutely, absolutely factually true. Factually true. Uh, um, Bama Slayton responds, I completely disagree. You can use education as a shining example, especially in lower income communities. The solidification of the family unit has more impact on education than dollars spent. And, um, oh, I think he's disagreeing to infinite content saying increased taxes allow for increased social services, education, public works, infrastructure. And that's true as well. Um, but the, but, but what Jeb said about, about unions is incredibly important. I mean, it's almost, almost one-to-one as far as union membership goes down one percentage point, CEO income increases two percentage points, <laughs> and wages stay flat. I mean, it's, it's seriously, the correlation is ridiculous. The correlation is 
ridiculous. Um, Why would a boss give you more money? Right, right. They're capitalists. Strom says, uh, at will employment, an awful related problem. It is. And and it's everywhere. It is everywhere. And we need to get rid of it. We should not, at will employment should not be the law of the land. Absolutely not. Um, Yeah, so let's, uh, do we still have the caller on the line? We do. Yeah, let's bring them in. Um, caller, what is your name and where are you calling from? How you doing, guys? Uh, my name is Joey Leach. I'm an organizer for the Security Police Fight Professionals of America, Local 603. I want to give a shout-out to all my brothers and sisters in the labor movement. I'm an organizer in Central Florida, and, yeah, it's not an easy thing to do to organize in the South. Mm. Absolutely. Ab- absolutely. You said you're with the Firefighters Union down there? Uh, Security Police Fight Professionals of America. We organize all, all first responders from correctional officers to firefighters to mostly security officers. We gotcha, had a, gotcha. a recent claim to fame would be our officers were the ones who took who were being shot at at the Mandalay Bay casino shooting back in 2017. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're on the front lines. Uh, a lot of issues out there. But I'd like to talk about uh, the mainstream unions, the AFL unions, the large federations. they got to break into the piggy banks and stop paying guys to do internal organizing in the right-to-work states and also do just uh, straight organizing, organizing new shops. It's got to be done. They got to loosen up the purse strings to put the organizers up in motels to uh, get them to make sure they hit the streets to get our numbers up, especially in the mm-hmm. deep south. It's the only way we're going to make it. Uh, we got to get our numbers up in the service industries. We got to educate the uh, the young. We need to get more union tradesmen and more union organizers inside the high schools, inside the colleges, to talk to the guys about the benefits of working under a CBA. And we got to change the climate. We got to change the culture in the country, even if it's just little by little to where they're in favor of collective bargaining and workers organizing. It's the only way we're going to save ourselves. It's the only way millennials and Gen Zers are going to be able to pull themselves up. Because you look at so many of these days, the millennials, they got no money. They can't buy houses. They're not buying big-ticket items. The older generation, the generations who worked under a union-strong country, now that you look at how union density is plummeted, and the middle class is going with them, and the guys, there's no upward mobility for the young. There's only just outstanding debt and empty promises. So I'd encourage everybody to... Uh, Young guys out there to get into apprenticeships uh, and to tell the unions, uh, the higher-ups of the major federations, the major, the CLCs, the labor councils, to get the people inside the high schools, inside the colleges, and let them know uh, about the value of collective bargaining. Absolutely. I mean, well, no, well, just just, just one moment because I, I have a question for you. Um, but but that's that's something that we have um, that that I think is incredibly important. And it's something that we're going to be working on with the Labor Council up here um, is is trying to get organizers in schools um, at career fairs. And I mean, I think, frankly, anytime there's a, you know, anytime there's like a military recruiter, there ought to be a union recruiter. That's exactly what I was um, going to say earlier. It was right like, I remember a lot of recruiters in yeah. my high school, but no like, union you don't peeps. Have to, you know, yeah, you, you don't have to, you know, like volunteer to go like kill poor children overseas you know, to get a good, yeah i completely agree yeah where there's ever a military recruiter we need union mm-hmm. recruiters as well to, mm-hmm. to pull them into the trades huge Absolutely. shortage we have these days of plumbers welders carpenters there's just none around yeah. because uh it's been shunned for so many uh, decades kids were encouraged to spend all the money in college debt to go into to go into extreme debt spend all the money on college come out with degrees that would only land them in the service industry at most, you right. know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. So exactly. Yeah, you got a cycle. You well, got a vicious cycle. Yeah, and so you know, I'm I'm interested. I the and the question that I have is, is kind of unrelated, but you said you're with the uh, SPFPA, and the um, I I you know I think probably if, if you've listened to the show, uh, you know, a reasonable amount of time, you know that like we're we're pretty leery of cops, and I think for good reason, right? Um, and you know, so I guess I'm interested, I'm, I wonder why it is that, that cops seem so willing to, cause you, you know, uh, uh, law enforcement is an incredibly unionized industry. Um, they, they have high union density and they're totally willing to stab us in the back whenever we go on strike. Um, whenever, I mean, look in, in, in Brookwood. They've got, they've got cops 
who are presumably members of, of the FOP, you know, I don't know, but maybe they are, maybe they aren't, um, giving coal miners tickets for going the speed limit in front of a scab escort. Because the because it's oh you're not pulling over for an emergency vehicle like it's not an emergency to take scabs to work you know and 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 they're uh, uh you know down in um, Cottonton Alabama they are uh, uh, they're being rented by the company you know and and, and manning the picket lines and, and so I I can like so so yeah what. Why is it you think that there is not more solidarity uh, among these people who who you know they've got these they've got collective bargaining agreements you know whether or not we whether we want to call it a union or, or not I, you know I don't know um oh and and I also forgot to mention that that I agree I, I totally agree about the um you know gotta gotta dig into the purse strings and all that and 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 we've talked about that with Chris Boner about his uh you know his report and and we're he did a follow-up to that and we're going to be getting him on the show to talk about that at some point i'm sure um but yeah so what why why is that you think because that that's always uh confused me and and made me incredibly angry (laughs) Uh, that's right that's right if you look at uh the pba which is the the police benevolent association the fraternal order of police and other organizations (coughs) the police union is right it appears that they're screwing themselves in the long run by not showing solidarity with the fellow brothers and sisters and even opting to drop out out of federations and larger police and larger union movements, which I think is insane. I think it goes back to uh, the whole culture of America where uh, the solidarity, uh, the, 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 the concept of solidarity and the concept of community, all that has been so eroded. Everybody used to vote, I'm going to get yours and the hell with everybody else. So to go into an industry uh, like law enforcement, their first, uh, their first instinct is to protect themselves. I'll think about the guys who are on the picket line, such as the Cisco, uh, the Cisco uh, Teamsters, who arrested. Yeah, there was over a dozen, about 20 of them arrested uh, for, for beating back scabs. Now, I, I have personal, uh, my personal feelings, along with the, the guys in my local and without my union, that we would never work uh, picket line. We would never defend scabs. Uh, mm-hmm. None of the guys in my union. Uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we wouldn't do that. Uh, but yeah, other other unions like the FOP, PBA, it, it does make me wonder, and I'm just, and I believe it's a whole a culture that says that it's an, of, indiv- of individuality that's just a question the labor mm. movement in America as a whole. You know, nobody, we, we don't want to do things, we don't wor- we don't want to work together, we yeah. don't want to work as a team. We just have this extreme uh, individuality that that reflects in the way that the NLRB has been uh, uh, looking into cases and making rulings to where in the beginning it was. Uh, protecting and encouraging collective bargaining to where it was uh, protect, protecting small units to where nowadays it's protecting, and I quote, the rights of the individual worker. So I really think it goes into the whole culture as a whole. And if you look back at history, uh, like the Mate One, uh, the story of Mate One and the miners, you actually had the police, the constables and the police t- there who supported the, uh, the miners and fought the mm-hmm. company scabs and the company mm-hmm. goons back on the side of the miners. Yeah, Sid. So, I think yeah, his yeah. name was, was it Sid Hatfield? Sid Hatfield. Right, I believe that's his name. I believe that that's what his name was. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that. That's yeah, and that. That's always been a been a, a, a fascinating fascinating story about Sid Hatfield. Um, and you know, I uh, uh, this 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 fascinating fascinating call. I <laughs> I I um. And, well, and, and it's just the culture and, and as a whole. Even, I mean, when you look at the percentage yeah. of unionized workers, we're talking 10, 11 percent, the whole workforce. And then you look at the private sector, it's six and a half, so some ridiculously low number like that. So it's just it's you got this whole culture that's just across almost the, the whole country, the whole every industry of where solidarity is being eroded and the obsession of individuality is just killing us all as a whole. And, and, and that really reflects inside the FOP, uh, PBA, uh, and you see that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the FOP. The 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 national FOP president, he's been on local talk radio here, defending a convicted murderer. <laughs> there's a cop there's a cop here in Alabama in Huntsville that was convicted of murder, um and, and like like by you know a, a jury of his peers by a right wing DA prosecuted by a right wing Republican DA right you know so this isn't this isn't some 
you know, uh, you know, Democrat DA going out on a limb. This is a right wing Republican DA prosecuting a, a, a murderer, somebody who a jury of his peers found to be a murderer. Um, and what happened, there was, this, there was a suicidal fella who had like a flare gun to his head or something. And there were these other two cops that were in there and they were like, you know, trying to talk him down basically, but he still had the gun to his head, but it was obvious that he was not like a, like a threat to them. He was a threat to himself. And this guy comes charging in there with a shotgun, says, put the gun, you know, hollering orders, yelling orders. And in 10 seconds, he blows the guy's brains out. Um, and so, you know, he was, he was convicted right, of murder. They just went in the shoot like cowboys. Yeah, yeah. And so he was convicted of murder. And, and the, the police chief, the mayor of the city of Huntsville, and the national, um, they have a national, uh, uh, the, the national president of the Fraternal Order of Police um, was on local talk radio defending this guy. And so, like, it's difficult. It, it's it, it, it's just it's difficult for me to like I you know I would love to see more people like that Sid Hatfield guy right that were signing side siding with the uh, with the miners, but you know I like it's it's really hard for uh, you know I I don't know I I'm just very very distrustful <laughs> of cops and there you know I mean does that does that make sense and and what what is the role of of maybe uh, cop associations in in making that not the case and in like trying to fight back against that uh culture of you know defending murderers right uh yeah what they need to do is uh the, the fraternal order of police uh police police association they need to continue to work with the aflcio with the central labor council and they definitely need to stop the withdrawal from the larger federation uh, and they need to reach out to uh to the community uh, through the Federation, through political organizations, through labor's allies such as the NAACP and other organizations who have been longtime labor allies, uh, and sit down and solve the community problems uh, that way. I, I'm a big supporter, a big longtime reader of Labor Notes, a uh, big supporter of them. And there's mm -hmm. a, a lot of articles. That, okay, can you hear me? Go ahead. I had to transfer over them to, to my car. Though. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, so there was a Labor Notes article uh, before about how uh, the Seattle Police Department was pulling out of the Federation, and the mm -hmm. Federation was dead set against that because that was, would have been a great way for the, for the cops to really be able to communicate with, with the community uh, in, in, in the best way. So it was, uh, yeah, so that's got to be discouraged. So basically, the, the reform, it's got to come from the people. It has to come from the larger labor movement, larger federations, other unions. They have to come together and pull the FOP and PBA. Uh, you know, keep them within the labor movement and let them know that these are the issues of the community and they have to be solved this way and they have to be given leeway. Uh, because, well, it's like, if you look at some examples such as uh, the, the Correctional Officers Union out in Illinois, when the Teachers Union went on strike there some years ago, it was the uh, Correctional Officers there who uh, gave them some big donations, really kept them afloat. Hmm. The Teachers Union uh, over there, yeah. So you, you, we do have uh, that sense of solidarity, but we need more actions like that. We need more. Uh, actually, that uh, and also, I mean, look at it this way: you, you even have prisoners forming unions in the last couple of decades. Right, right. So I think even with, with right, right. So even even if prisoners being able to form their own unions, that's a, a way that they can have a, a positive and productive dialogue with uh, with prison officials, with prison officers' unions. I even think that there's potential for that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So uh, the more right, you, 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 more, the more the more people that we have organized in tenant unions. Uh, and the rank and file solidarity unions, uh, minority who practice minority unionism. As long as we push <clears throat> all forms of radical unionism to across every industry, whether it's security, law enforcement, uh, uh, firefighter, you know, uh, in, uh, manufacturing, tech, everything, uh, service, we can really turn things around and come together as as a whole, come together as one country, like we did in decades past. We can fight common enemies, which is uh, the big corporations. Who are exploiting all the work, all the workers uh, across the board. I mean, if you look at, you know, there's things that that Florida has done, the Central Florida, where they've taken away uh, uh, police officers' overtime and taxed them on uh, on overtime for other issues, and it's, it's crazy. So, I mean, <laughs> for law enforcement officers to decide with corporations, they're siding with the enemy and, and against mm. uh, the communities who actually, in the end, support them and actually do pay their salaries. It's not the mm. corporations, it's the people's taxes who take care of them. So uh, I do believe that if, uh, yeah, if we, if we 
<clears throat> uh, increase militarism from the inside, and just keep up the good fight. If more guys did what you do, uh, you know, keep the radio in, in the deep south, <clears throat> have radio shows, do more outlets, things like that, uh, would be stronger. Also, if I could say one, one, one more quick thing, I'd like to see <coughs> the AFL, CIO, and some of these major unions, uh, even the Teamsters, move some of their headquarters from, say, Washington, D.C., or New York City to Mobile, Alabama, or Charlotte, North Carolina, mm. hire the locals to work in their offices, sponsor uh, Little League games, sponsor football games, mm. and I think that would be a good way to teach them the heart of Southerners. Right, uh, right. So, yeah, brother, yeah, I'd just like to sign off by saying uh, good solidarity to all of you, to all of my brothers and sisters in the labor movement, and uh, thank you, Valley Labor Report, for all you do for the labor movement and spreading the word of, military, of militant unionism, because that's what we need in this country. It's the only way we're going to survive. Joey, thanks for the call. Yeah, Very, thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Solidarity. All right. All right. Solidarity. Um, so I've got uh, – I'm going to hit this uh, – hit another story really quick, and then we'll bring on um, – then we will bring on Chuck Cora from the Apod Latcha podcast. Um, but, yeah, that, that was a fascinating call. Half don't know – what to make of that uh <laughs> but i appreciate i appreciate him listening um and and i appreciate i mean it, it would be it, it'd be great to have uh i think it'd be a whole lot better if we had more cops thought like that so mm -hmm. uh here's another alabama labor story that is uh it's gonna break your heart it's gonna break your heart ge workers in auburn who filed their petition to unionize with the iue cwa last month withdrew their petition last week meaning they will not be moving forward with an election at that plant. AL.com says it's the second time in five years that workers have withdrawn a union petition at the Auburn facility. Uh, this comes after two workers were fired, at least two, minimum two workers were fired for their union support, one of whom was pregnant. One of whom was pregnant. They filed unfair labor practice charges with the NLRB for illegal retaliation. They have to rely on federal protections because, like I said, Alabama does not have any protections like that. They don't have any protections for pregnant workers. Um, Democrat State Representative Neil Rafferty attempted to get a Pregnant Workers Fairness Act passed last year, and it was shot down by the Republican committee, who ostensibly care about women and pregnant people and fetuses but they should but you know like adam said they care about bosses more uh this withdrawal of the petition also comes after the mayors of auburn and opelika wrote an op-ed in a local paper opposing the unionization effort with some of the most tired nonsense tropes about unions um and it, it's so bad that i wanted to share share some of it with you in their, joint in their joint letter, they say that they reckon workers are not often unionized today because they, quote, realize that companies they work for pay fairly and treat their employees with respect. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Oh, oh man. <laughs> that is uh, pretty wild. Remember earlier we spoke about CEO to worker pay ratios. According to GE's public records, GE is the company that these workers were trying to unionize at, their CEO to worker pay ratio in 2020 was 1,357 to 1. Efficiency. Yeah. Remember also that they just fired a pregnant woman because of her opinion. At this GE plant in Auburn, they fired a pregnant woman because of her opinion. Because she supported unionization. Where are the free speech warriors? Where are the defenders of parents? Where are the defenders of mothers? They're nowhere to be found here because, it's, of course, it's all theater. It's, it's all theater, and it's all theater in service of the boss. Of course, workers are not paid fairly. We're barely scraping by while our betters who, let's remember, barely even take the time to be in the same room, hell, even the same state as us, we're barely scraping by while our betters make out like bandits off of the value that we create. Of course, most workers aren't treated with respect. 
They're treated like a number, at best. And they preface all of this with, I believe, uh, you know, I believe this is the case. I believe this to be the case. And this, I think, with the rest of the article and how out of touch it is, just really makes me think that they did not talk to a single worker in this plant about their feelings before running their op-eds. Uh, but, of course, you know, why would somebody like them talk to one of the little people, right? Why would a mayor of, a, of, a, of Auburn, why would the mayor want to talk to just a measly worker? They end the op-ed by saying, quote, it would be a shame for a union to try to dictate how the company operates in this ultra-competitive environment. And I want folks listening to understand that this statement is laced with contempt for you. This statement is laced with disgust for normal people. Because what are they saying here? They're saying that it would be bad for the people doing the work, which is who the union, which is who the union would be, right? If they formed one there, the people doing the work would be who the union is made up of. It would be a shame for the people doing the work to have a say. It would be a shame. They want you to put your head down. They don't want you to talk back. Just do what you're told, except the lashes. The important people in New York and D.C. and in Montgomery, they know better than you backwards hicks, so just do what you're told and run along. I mean, that's what they're saying here explicitly. That's explicitly what they're saying here. And so they got what they want for now. Uh, but hopefully at some time in the future, these folks are going to be able to find the courage to fight back. Uh, because I think, I think, I think that they deserve a say. I do think that they ought to have some control over the place where they spend the majority of their waking lives. I don't think that would be a shame, actually. I don't actually think it would be a shame if people had some amount of say over where they spend the majority of their waking lives. I think that would be the bare minimum. But fancy boys like Ron Anders and Gary Fuller, the mayors of Opelika and Auburn, Alabama, they think that would be a shame. And that's who they are. We've got, uh, have we got Chuck in the Zoom? We sure do. I'm just framing him up right now. And we will bring him on here in just a second. But yeah, Strom says uh, they keep no surplus value for their non-employee shareholders. Right, yeah. The workers don't want respect, better conditions, or better wages, right? Of course not. Of course not. It's astounding. It's absolutely, it's just really, really gross. Um the, these article, uh, this article that came out. Uh, couldn't stand it. So, All yeah, right. We've got Chuck Cora on the Zoom. Uh, Chuck, can you hear me? I can. I can, Jake. Can you hear me? I can. You sound great, Chuck. Chuck Cora is uh, one of the co-hosts of the A-Podlatcha podcast. Uh, so, Chuck, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I've been a fan for a long time, so glad to be joining y'all. Yeah, and, and same for you. Y'all are doing some great work up there, uh, a little north of us in Appalachia. Um, and so we brought you on today um, to talk about J.D. Vance. But before that, I wanted to do, I wanted to talk a little bit more about, about y'all's uh, podcast and, and, you know, when y'all got started and, and what made y'all want to do that. You and Has it always been you and Callie doing it? So uh, actually, it started out with me and a, a gentleman named John Eisner, uh, not the tennis player, um, an old friend from from growing up in West Virginia who started the show with me in 2019, December 2019. And he was with us up to uh, about April of this past year, and he left the show to pursue some other professional uh, endeavors. So Callie's been with us ever since uh, April of this year. Gotcha, gotcha. And I think I see, I think I see John Eisner on Twitter sometimes. Yeah, yeah, he's still on there. He actually works as a public defender in uh, our hometown of Parkersburg, West Virginia. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I was just telling a caller uh, earlier in the show that public defenders are incredibly undervalued, um, and I'm sure that uh, I'm sure he'd have some stories there. Are is he? Uh, oh, yeah. Is he asks me? I don't know if he is or not. It's a good question. I would. I guess probably West Virginia. Probably. Probably not. Uh, they may not have a union there. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's hard to tell with them. It's a weird state when it comes to that. I'll have to ask him though and see. Might be, yeah, might be worth asking. Uh, but, but yeah, that's uh, that that's incredible work. Um, I, I value public defenders an incredible amount. So, so that's really cool of him to do that. So, what made y'all want to, uh, you know, start the podcast? Yeah. So, we kind of felt like media that didn't have a, I guess, hard conservative bias was kind of lacking in the region, and I think just the representation of other views. And really pushing back against some of the deeply ingrained stereotypes about Appalachia wasn't really happening, at least on a on a level that we felt we could be a part of. And, you know, John, before we, we started the podcast, he ran um, for elected office uh, for a House of Delegates seat in West Virginia in a deep, deep red part of the state. It was probably like a Trump plus 40 something district. And he did better than any other Democrat had ever done in that in that district. When he ran, he still lost, but uh, but made some real inroads. And the conversations that we had on that campaign, because I helped him out a lot, um, were ones that we wanted to continue having. And we wanted there to be some sort of progressive voice for, for Appalachia, which we felt like was lacking at the time. And so we started a podcast without like a lot of um, real goals or planning in mind. We just wanted to bring... Um, a more progressive viewpoint about Appalachia to more people and also be building a platform to lift other important voices up that um, had otherwise not really gained the attention that I, I feel like they deserved. And that's really served as the impetus for it. Um, and, you know, we started out with a small audience in 2019 and throughout the past two and a half, three years have built a pretty decent sized audience um, talking about things like JD Vance, but other important things like, you know, what's happening in Appalachia, the economy, the important people, especially the creative community and the working class community in Appalachia that often gets ignored in the national media, but has such an important role. And honestly, it, you know, when you think about working class history, an extremely important role in the history of union organizing in, in the United States. Absolutely. And I think that uh, I, I think that y'all do a good job of that. I saw uh, I saw your interview with Doug Jones the other day because it came across my came across my feed. I thought that was uh, that was pretty cool. And, um, and and I've seen y'all talk to some other uh, some other progressive southern electeds. And and I think that getting some of those messages out there is it, it is important because uh, the south is not all a monolith um you know uh, adam was talking to um zach hyden last week and you know the 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 perception of alabama is such a red state super majority trump voters um and if you actually look at who voted only something like 30 something percent of alabama of the eligible voters in alabama voted for donald trump so that means more people mo- more people voted for nobody than voted for Donald Trump and also, you know, way more people voted for nobody plus Joe Biden th- than Donald Trump. And that's something that yeah. you you don't really you don't really get that perception from popular narratives about the South or or the popular portrayal of the South in the media. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it, you know, there's some nuance involved there and it's like it's important to to tell a line of not being an apologist for the real problems that are happening in the South and Appalachia while also acknowledging those there's you know, there's problems like that everywhere. There's racism everywhere. It's not just in the South. There are plenty of parts of California and New York that also experience that too. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the biggest goals that I've had on the show is really trying to encourage people to think a little bit more open mindedly about places. You know, Alabama, West Virginia, the geography is arbitrary, right? I I mean, you know, there are lines that are drawn by politics or by geography, but the people inside those states, you know, I think oftentimes feel underrepresented. We've talked to many people from Alabama who are sick and tired of just hearing this whole notion of like, oh my God, I can't believe you live in Alabama. How do you survive with all these Trump people and all this stuff? It's like the narrative that you're hearing about a place is only a small sliver of the truth of what it actually is, you know? And I think for a lot of people, for a lot of progressives that live in those places, they're really 
sick and tired of these narratives being controlling about a place that they love and care about and call home. And yeah, it's complicated and, and the politics of places are, are oftentimes not what we want them to be, but that disregards the real people that live there and, and the real progressive people that are trying to fight for a better place. And I think that one thing we've tried to do is really emphasize that and say like, you know, of course, West Virginia has a very, very red electorate, but that's not representative of all the people as a whole. And it's important to acknowledge that nuance. And like you said about Alabama, I mean, the way a state votes, if the only thing you know about a state is what color they show up on on the electoral college map every four years, then you know nothing about that state. Right. I could not could not agree more. Could not agree more. And and so, you know, I think that's a good uh, segue into um or, or, or it's a good stopping point for that part of the conversation and, you know, good place to pick up on talking about J.D. Vance. And so I'll just give you, you know, I know I, I have not done any deep dives into J.D. Vance. And I saw y'all's video about top five worst things about Hill, Hillbilly Elegy. And I was like, oh, this would be fun to have, have him on. And, and I have never read Hillbilly. Did you actually read Hillbilly Elegy for that video? Yeah, I've I've read it. Um, I bought the Kindle version because it was the cheapest version that I could buy. Um, but I I wanted to be able to actually read it so I could speak credibly about it. So yeah, I've read the whole thing and annotated it. Sadly. Oh my goodness, annotated it. Oof. Well, so uh, talk to us then about who is where? Where does JD Vance come from, and and why did he become kind of the hillbilly whisperer? Uh, for for a short time for like you know uh democrats in new york and in california a great question uh so his book was published i want to say it was in 2016 or 2017 it was either right before or right after the presidential election that year uh so he's from i think it's middletown ohio which is a a small working class community just outside of appalachia i think it's like north of cincinnati i want to say uh but he grew up and spent a lot of time down in jackson kentucky living i believe with his grandparents and that's where a lot of the narrative part of hillbilly elegy comes from and i think it's important to acknowledge like his personal story is is relevant it's one that's like you know it's a it's an inspiring story of someone who came from from uh uh very troubled household and made something of himself, I guess you could say anyway, he went to college, overcame some adversity, all that stuff. He certainly had help. But if you isolate the story as that, that's one thing. But the problem I think that's missed with Hillbilly Elegy is that a large portion, probably over half of the book is really like a political tome and narrative that he constructs about where he's from based on his individualized anecdotal experiences and uses them to cast generalizations about the entire region of Appalachia and many parts of rural America in general. He often uses one-off examples of where he's seen people abuse the welfare system as a reason for making that indictment of the entire system and the people that use it. Um, He had one isolated experience using a payday loan and thought that it was a very positive experience for him. So he has praised them and uh, and and put them up on a pedestal when we know that they disproportionately affect um, poor and and minority communities. And they're they're you know, they're designed to be a debt trap, of course. Of course. Um, and so so I think like the way that he slipped into this sort of uh, the hillbilly whisper, if you will, I think. Now, I'm not like totally informed on all of this. I'm sure that he had some connections high up, but you know, it came at a time when people were trying to figure out what the heck happened with the 2016 election when everybody thought that Hillary Clinton was going to win and Donald Trump ended up winning. And they viewed J.D. Vance, they viewed Hillbilly Elegy as the answer to that and uh, as this working class retribution for elites, coastal elites, so to speak. Um, but he did that also while trashing all the people that he grew up with. In the book, it's he makes it very clear that he resents where he's from, which I find it really ironic that now he's trying to run to represent all of Ohio, mm. even though he spent the majority of his life after college living in places like Washington, D.C. and San Francisco. Um, so he's really a chameleon of a person. And I think um, what he lays out in Hillbilly Elegy is, I think, what he truly believes. He truly believes that the people 
benefiting or people utilizing the welfare system are leeches on the system and that none of them are hardworking individuals and they're lazy. That's his words, not mine. Um, When, as we know, statistically and, and anecdotally, it's often the opposite of that. So that's his worldview, and he has morphed himself into this sort of pro-Trump MAGA person, even though he kind of made a name for himself by being not that uh, after the 2016 election up until the time that he decided to run for office, and it was politically advantageous of him to support Donald Trump. So, you know, he's somebody who who is willing to sacrifice all of his dignity and values to get elected and will be the person that he thinks the electorate wants him to be in order to get to that point. And let's make it clear, the only reason he won the primary is because he got Donald Trump's endorsement. That was going to be Josh Mandel 100%, but uh, he um, sucked up to the the king, and the king uh, made him kiss the ring, and in return he gave him uh, his endorsement while also claiming, quote-unquote, that J.D. Vance kisses his ass. And right. that's... I mean, then that's a kind way of putting it. I think he does a lot more than that, but I'll, right. I'll I will digress. Yeah, I think that the um, the chameleonness of of his political character is incredibly evident, and the the polls are are, are tightening. Didn't for a while Tim Ryan had a lead in Ohio, and now and now Vance is is taking the lead back, or am I am I maybe yeah. mixing up Pennsylvania? Uh, I mean, I think both are both Pennsylvania and Ohio are kind of going in that direction. Ohio has been Ohio has been tight pretty much the whole time. Um, Tim Ryan has kind of been jostling back and forth with J.D. Vance for leads in the polls, although it's hard to really, you know, it's really hard to gain a read on these races. I viewed all of them as just be given the environment that we're in right now in the midterms. I, I view all of these as leaning towards Republican. That means Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Um, uh, Herschel Walker in Georgia and um, and J.D. Vance, unfortunately, in Ohio. Tim Ryan has made that a race, though. It should never have been this close. Ohio is, mm. is a much more Republican voting state than that. And I think that's a testament to the campaign that Tim Ryan has won, run, but it's also a testament to how bad of a candidate J.D. Vance is. And right. I think, um, you know, people are starting to see that. The other thing to point out in that race is there's a ton of outside money supporting J.D. Vance and very, very little supporting Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan's been a great grassroots fundraiser. J.D. Vance is not, but the amount of outside super PAC and uh, um, uh, uh, IE independent expenditure uh, spending in that race is is heavily, heavily favoring the Republican. Mm, Right, right. And so the did you see that that more perfect union story about Vance not commenting on the Kroger strike or the potential Kroger strike in Ohio? I think I caught a bit of that, but I didn't get to see all of it. But that's, I mean, I guess it's not surprising considering right. how anti-unity is, but that's interesting. Well, it is. I mean, it's almost surprising because it would, it seems like it would just be so easy to, you know, maybe not walk a picket line, but that's, that's one of the things that always eludes me for these people that are trying to be, you know, I'm a working class conservative. I'm a, I'm a pro working class Republican, right? These people, why don't they just say good things about, you know, why don't they just pretend a little <laughs> bit to actually care? I mean, you know, we've got a thousand coal miners on strike here in Alabama and not, and I, I keep very close tabs on this, not a single Republican has said anything about it. It's just like, how, how does that happen? And that's all, that tells you everything you need to know about this fake support for working class people. And 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 I get it. Like the Democratic Party nationally has completely dropped the ball. I well, think, yeah, and the, the Democratic class. Party locally. There's a, there's a Democratic activist, you know, somebody who's active in the party that came to David the other day, and like the other day, as in last week, and it was like, oh, I just found out about the coal miner strike. How can we help? And it's like, yeah. Whoa! <laughs> it's been like 570 days now or something like How that. How can like... you be an Alabama politico, <laughs> somebody who considers themselves remotely well-informed and remotely on the left? You can track how many years that took there, for them to catch up there. Like that was just bonkers to me. That and and so you yeah. know and so rightfully so. I think you know David was pretty cynical and it's like well you know 
maybe uh, get back with me when you don't have an election you're trying to win and we can talk, <laughs> right? You're, you're abs- I mean, look, I was embarrassed that it took me a month to find out about this yeah. strike down in, in um, uh, Brookwood. Brookwood or Best Brookwood, Bessemer was Amazon. Yeah. Um, and and so I but I think that that's just no, and that's a to me that makes me really sad for them. And it's just I mean it shows like like there hasn't been any because there's not a lot of like there's not a lot of financial gain for for Mm -hmm. politicians because you know working class they're not going to give up part of their hard earned union paycheck to throw money at a campaign. Uh, And so I think it's but it's telling you know that like support matters. It matters not just in election time. It matters you know, 570 some odd days ago, it mattered. And, and, and the fact that hardly anyone is standing up for the miners, but for all these, you know, we're, we're in a union renaissance in this country, like more than we probably in our collective lives have ever seen. Uh, and you know, the lack of support has been to me astounding and it's, it's a political layup in many situations, but that's just, you know, it's telling people like JD Vance, they don't want to, they don't want to cozy up too much because they don't want to see themselves as being pro-union. And one of the easiest dunks that a Republican can make right now is dunking on the AFT or or the local education unions uh, with right. all the education strikes that's going on right now. Right. Yeah, I- exactly. Uh, well, so then, you know, what is wh- what is your what is your read then on, on the people that that are, are going to be voting, you think, for for J.D. Vance? Uh, wh- wh- why (laughs) boy if i uh i mean need like three hours to unpack that you know i think um there's a lot of it that can be explained by partisan tribalism you know vote Mm -hmm. for the r not the d there's certainly some of that i mean there's not a lot of appeal to the guy otherwise i mean he's he he tries to flex MAGA credentials, but I don't think that he's got the credibility to back it up. Not like someone like Josh Mandel, who's the, the former treasurer of Ohio. That's a, kind of a perennial candidate. Um, he doesn't have like the credentials of being in Ohio. You know, he recently moved back from San Francisco and DC. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand the appeal other than the, the quintessential Republican who's going to support, you're if, if I guess if you're someone who votes on issues like like abortion and stuff like that, maybe that's a reason why you're voting for him. Um, I don't know. It's this is the race out of all the other Senate races right now that I'm the most interested to see the result, because I I feel like I feel like it's it could be a lot closer than people are anticipating. I, I feel like that Tim Ryan has a narrow path to victory, even in mm-hmm. such a difficult state, just because of how bad of a candidate and just how fake of a person jd vance is but also tim ryan has been running a really effective campaign in ohio even in tough political environments you know they'll elect um a decent progressive every now and then i mean granted 2018 was a good environment for democrats but sherrod brown uh won a victory there um statewide race and you know he's he's won tough races for a long time i'm a big fan of sherrod brown he supported my dad when he was on strike back in 2006 Mm -hmm. I was the it was the only politician to show up on the picket line back then, and I yeah. will never forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't, it's Brown, a good question. I, I, of, I definitely have a lot of respect for Sherrod Brown, and he he calls in like once a month to uh, Flash's show in Ohio, uh, oh, America's nice. Workforce. Yeah, uh, so I, I like hearing Sherrod Brown on on Flash's show. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely. I mean, I think a lot of these Senate races are are just kind of like the Republicans have really really put up bizarre bizarre candidates like the you know i mean dr oz in pennsylvania jd vance in ohio herschel walker in georgia carrie lake in arizona like these are all lunatics like just absolutely absolutely lunatics right and yeah you know i think that uh, ironically enough i think that the strongest republican candidate uh, or, or the, I mean, maybe it's just because I, I know her and maybe there are others, but like Katie Britt is just like a yeah. normal Republican, it seems to me, right? And she's in Alabama. And it seems like if she was in any of these other states where Democrats were maybe having a bit harder of a time, she'd be walking away with it. Uh, just oh, because yeah. she's, she's, you know, she's like just a normal Republican. And, and she's she kind of does a little bit of a dance to, you know, satisfy some MAGA stuff. But she's like, I don't know. She seems normal to me, more or less. Uh, you know, uh, obviously a lizard person, but you know, 
of the normal variety. Normal lizard person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen that. I mean, she used to be Richard Shelby's, like, what, chief, chief of staff or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and he seemed like he never quite leaned far into the whole, like, mm-hmm. MAGA election denying thing quite like a lot of the other ones did. I view him very, this is very similar to what happened in Tennessee. Bob Corker and Lamar Alexander were both Republican senators there. Um, they both had the sort of, like, I would say, independent light streak i suppose mm-hmm. of like not fully embracing this whole like maga turn of the party and they both retired because they knew that they would probably not win re-election because of that and now you have people like marsha blackburn and bill Haggerty in there who are unhinged um yeah. but yeah i think we're seeing a lot less of people like katie Britt and a lot more people like carrie lake in arizona who are election deniers and these anti-democratic candidates that that like people i don't think are really taking seriously how disruptive these people could be like look in pennsylvania for example doug mastriano who's the republican nominee for governor now granted he in the polls and polls are what they are um he's been up by uh uh, the democrat has been up by double digits so it's very i don't think it's very likely that doug mastriano could win but if that guy won he's an election denier and he gets to appoint the secretary of state and Mm. pennsylvania one of the critical states like Arizona and presidential elections could really spell trouble in two years if uh, if those people are electing. Carrie Lake, very similar situation. So it's, it's very scary. And then you have people like Herschel Walker, who will do exactly what Donald Trump tells him to do. Uh, people like J.D. Vance, who will also do that. And Dr. Oz, who who the heck knows, but probably the same. These are people that could all, you know, vote to not certify an election. So all of this right. stuff has broad reaching implications past just the general stuff that a senator should do yeah definitely well so uh chuck we'll leave you off and uh with um the question what are just to point point people to the video the top five worst uh you know parts of hillbilly elegy but tell us one one of those one of the worst parts of hillbilly elegy and and it's your choice which one you want to tell us about Oh, man. Well, first of all, I said this was the hardest list that I had ever come up with because there could be <laughs> literally like 500. Um, you know, I, I mentioned the payday loan part because and that was that was one of the worst just because I think it's just so devoid mm. of fact and reason. Um, but one of the worst, I think, is really just I think about how he talks about the people that he grew up with that supposedly he cared about and that was supposedly his community. There's one quote, it's in, I think it's like in the beginning of the book. And he's talking about the people of Jackson, Kentucky said, quote, the people are physically unhealthy and without government assistance, they lack treatment for the most basic problems. Most important, they're mean about it. They will hesitate to open their lives up to others for the simple reason that they don't wish to be judged. And there's so much to unpack with this, but you he wonders why these people don't open their lives up to him. It's because he's sitting there and doing the exact same thing that they don't want to do, judging them, right. saying they're you're this is and he's writing this from the perspective of him as a kid. So he's walking around as a kid saying, Oh, at least we're all physically unhealthy and on welfare. Uh, so screw them. And 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 I'm not gonna be like this. And it's just so much resentment mm. and so much hatred towards people that are just like not of means and and struggling to survive and there's no like empathy with that at all and i think that that sets the tone for the entire book and it's statements like that that when people say well how could you not like this book i point to and say how could you read this and not want to throw this in the trash right well, I'm not going to read it, but I appreciate you doing the work for us, Chuck. Thank you. <laughs> I did it so others don't have to. Happy that's to right. be a, happy to do a public service. That's right. That's right. Uh, Chuck Cora, the Apod Latcha podcast. Where can people find you? You can find us anywhere that podcasts can be found on Apple, Spotify, all that stuff. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, even though I don't really use Facebook that much, TikTok, all that stuff. And you can go to our website, appodlatcha.com, to also check that out as well. And we just appreciate your support. And uh, also, I just appreciate being on this show. I, I love this. I love the program that you do. And I wish that I wish that your show would have existed way back when my dad was a union steel worker, because uh, I know they could have could have used something like that. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it. I enjoy it, uh, and and I I hope that it is of of some service to to union folk here in Alabama and, and uh, in the South. So, Chuck, I appreciate your time. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks.
We've got one more story, and then we will roll out of here. Um, and we're coming up on the election, so we're we're kind of we're kind of more electoral politics heavy on on this show than are talking about politicians more on this show than others, and, and we'll probably do something similar on the next show. But uh, but of course we will. Um, of course we're still talking about workers, but um, we'll probably be less electoral politics heavy after the election. Um, so believe it or not, Democrats do have some folks on the ballot here in Alabama, even though they have less folks on the ballot than the Libertarian Party. Which, yikes. That's ouch, ouch. The Libertarian Party of Alabama has more candidates on the ballot than the Democrats. Oof. But one of those candidates is Wendell Majors. He is a cop running for attorney general against incumbent Republican Steve Marshall. Now, there are all sorts of things you could do as a Democrat running for attorney general to contrast yourself with the Republican in popular ways. You could pledge not to prosecute abortions, not to prosecute nonviolent drug crime. Uh, you could pledge to get tough on bosses on the boss's crime spree that's been going on with children working in factories in Alabama, people being killed in warehouses, bosses polluting the environment, all this sorts of stuff. There's no shortage, absolutely no shortage of powerful folks screwing over working people in our state that a properly motivated attorney general could do something about. Well, uh, Wendell Majors, Democrat cop running for Alabama attorney general, wants to spend public resources cracking down on electronic bingo. Uh-oh. And I'm not joking. That's like... He was on the Capitol, the Alabama Capitol Journal. That's like the Alabama political or Alabama public television weekly news show or something. Every time I walk out the door, it's just electronic bingo wasteland out there. It's right. the biggest problem. Biggest problem it's in my life. It's the biggest sure. problem I can think of facing that Alabama right now. <laughs> when I think about Steve Marshall, the yeah. Republican Attorney General, the first thing, the very first thing that comes to my mind is that he is not cracking down on casinos and electronic bingo. Yeah. Um, and that's a bad thing. That's the first thing. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure that most of you listening are exactly the same way. We are tired of <laughs> the scourge of electronic bingo in our state. Dragging the state Dragging down. Dragging the state down. Oh, my God. I mean, and I just like, I just don't know, you know, that's the, I mean, that's like the you story. Can, you kind of gauge, yeah, you can kind of gauge a person by what their problems are, right? And, and Seriously. this problem is the, the it's biggest challenge a, we got. I mean, appa yeah, apparently we just finished solving all the other problems in Alabama and I hadn't been aware of it. Uh, and so now we're on to the smaller stuff like electronic pain. I mean, you know. I do. I want to be fair to him because he does make some vague overtures to going after opioid manufacturers. I mean, that was super vague. He did not. He was not specific about that, and lowering the prioritization for marijuana enforcement. But man, like, why would you spend a single cent trying to stop folks from playing electronic bingo when there are so many other things that we could be doing? Uh, that need to be done. I don't. Uh, and why would you spend a single second of your? So, I mean, you're a Democrat running for Alabama Attorney General. You're going to lose by 30 points. And so every press stop that you make should just be devoted to hurting the Republican. That's it. It should just be devoted to hurting the Republican brand and 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 defining yourself as somebody that is actually going to fight for working people defining yourself as defining your party as a mechanism for building power for working people obviously you know that's not what the democrats are doing but that's ideally what they want to uh, ideally ideally that's i think that's what a lot of the activists want the party to be and so that's what the candidates should be doing they should not be wasting a single second on saying 
that the Republican Attorney General is not uh <laughs> is not prosecuting electronic bingo enough. It's just I I mean it's so it's so bizarre. I don't I mean it reminds me of and, the Twitter the Twitter yeah. problems that are Seriously. facing the uh, Alabama establishment. And he doesn't have his Twitter account has not been tweeted from since he ran for Birmingham City Council in like 2017. I mean these people they're not I mean they're just not serious. Uh, um, I was referring to was it Steve uh, yeah it was Steve Marshall, Marshall that he's, was like yeah he has this form on the yeah, Alabama Attorney sure General's website if you're if you scared of Twitter please yeah. hit this up but don't worry about the right. child labor rule yeah 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 if Twitter hurts your feelings then report it to us and mm. we will uh, we're not going to be able to do anything about <laughs> yeah, it because get... what could we do about it right <laughs> what are they do? but uh, you can <laughs> tell us all about it we'll act yeah. like your therapist we will be your therapist you know tell me where. oh you know, that's where mental health care and that, it's right. right there there you go yeah, wow. yeah. oh man yeah the demon rats Strom says <laughs> yeah. demon rats yeah yeah well, that's about it. I just wanted to tell you that because I figured you'd want to know that, uh, that that we finally got somebody fighting to get rid of the scourge of electronic Man, it's bingo. it's a new day. It's a new day. We got it. We're well, taking we it, it. Yeah, taking right. it out. Finally, Alabama's on the rise, y'all. Alabama's on the rise. Alabama South's gonna rise again as soon as we get rid of electronic bingo. <laughs> All right, folks, that's it for the show today. Uh, make sure that if you haven't, you donate. To the UMWA Strike Pantry, you can support the striking families at paypal.me slash UMWA Strike Pantry. Leave us a voicemail at 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can buy a hat or give us money on our website, tvlr.fm. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, five stars, all of that good stuff. Hey, give us Yelp Dude, reviews, right? Yelp reviews, all of it. <laughs> share, and all, all this stuff. For the Valley Labor Report. All power to the workers.